We have loving ones that are all around us all the time. They call them the Indinotaganug. That would be the ones that are listening to me. They're around us and they want to help us and give us guidance. We have to get quiet enough to hear what they have to say. Hello, welcome to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. I'm your host, Leah Lem. And I'm your other host, Cole Primo. So on Native Lights, we like to talk with folks from around Minnesota, from tribal communities and urban communities and everywhere in between, talking to Native people about their experiences, their gifts, and how they use them in the community. Yeah, it's great. And I got to say that it's it's a great change of pace uh, from you know, the full-time news job because, you know, on weeks like this week with with a lot of stuff going down, it's it's good to to talk to some good people and get away from that a little bit, you know. Yeah, for sure. I was curious if you had any, you know, uh, you know, native stories, you know, Ojibwe stories that you enjoyed as a kid or now or I think I we I just have to go back to dad telling us stories just to like kind of I'm not saying that these are like tradi- this, this is not traditional stories, but it might be more just storytelling for our benefit. But Dad telling us, you know, scary stories of what's going on in the woods behind our house, uh, so we wouldn't go in when we were kids. And of course, how has that played out now as adults? I don't know. <laughs> I live in the woods now, so I guess I'm okay with it. Although I do make sure all our doors are locked at night yeah. because I'm worried about like. Sasquatch or Bigfoot guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, I think the, you know, the whole, the Nana Buju trickster stories were always pretty fun to listen to. Stuff like that, you know, the muskrat saving the world going down, uh, grabbing that little piece of earth. I remember that one being a big one in the Ojibwe uh, language class. Mm-hmm. Like creation stories. Yeah, creation stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, it's that time of year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask about these stories because... The show today is is somewhat centered around native storytelling. Uh, it also happens to be winter right now, as you were saying. Uh, some Ojibwe stories can only be told when the snow is blanketing the ground. I find that to be very beautiful. You know, it's a very timely thing. And that's why I'm definitely excited for our conversation with today's guest. Hope Flanagan is a native elder, a storyteller, teacher of plants and wild plant gathering, and now works at Dream of Wild Health as a community outreach and culture teacher. She also taught an Ojibwe immersion classroom for a decade in before that was a storyteller at Minneapolis Public Schools in drug and alcohol prevention. She's now worked at Dream of Wild Health since 2009, but transitioned to a more year-round position in 2018. And I believe she just joined us. <laughs> hey, Boozhoo yes. Hope. Hello. Boozhoo Hope. Boozhoo. Uh, <laughs> 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 Not, not too much. I heard the boujou and I'm like, woohoo, yeah, let's go for it. Yeah. gun. Yeah. It is a good day. That's good. Yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, Bujou, could you uh, start by introducing yourself? 
Sure. Um, you've probably seen in our Native communities, there's usually an official way of introducing, and that kind of sets the tone for that we are all interrelated, we're all interconnected. So the way I would do that, and I'll translate it, Hello, all my relatives, my fellow living beings. Um, and when you say that, you're talking to maybe the unseen beings that are around us, maybe that, that tree out there is listening, or that little ant that really is walking across my floor is listening. So you um, kind of already kind of set the stage for a different way of being in the world. That's great. And then I would say, Hope Indigenicas, I am called Hope. Nudin Ensikwe Indigo, but I'm really, in my spirit way, I'm known by the spirits as Little Wind Woman. Um, and that name is given through a namer um, years ago, an elderly lady that uh, um, she she passed that name on to me from her auntie. And that name uh, kind of set the tone for what I'm supposed to do in this world. And when you get your name, you kind of get that idea of your position in the world. So with your with your introduction you kind of constellate how you're connected to everything nice. so um that little old lady that's no longer on this earth that nudinensi bun um she taught about plants and she taught young ones so now i carry that job kind of takes the ego out of it like hope isn't all that important it's the work that's important Mikinak Nindu Dame. So I'm saying that uh, I'm a snapping turtle. I'm appearing to you as a human, as a little old lady, but I'm a snapping turtle. That's my clan. And then Tanawanda, Tanawanda Ishkonaginning in Dunjaba. So that Tanawanda is the reservation that I'm from. And that word Ishkonaginning means um, the reservation or the leftover places, because historically all the the best food places, the best living places were the, the places that were taken away from us first. Um, but it kind of lets you know where where you're from in the sense of land. Um, Dream of Wild Health in Danoki. So I work at Dream of Wild Health. And that's a, um, we have a 30 acre farm area. This year we produced 8.5 tons of food. Oh, wow. So we put that food back into the community and I've been working there for 12, like like you had mentioned, I've been working there for 12 summers, and the last two years has been year-round. Nice. So can you tell us a bit about the work you do in general, I guess, at Dream of Wild Health? Kind of, what are you up to there? Oh, well, I guess it does, it does uh, touch on what uh, we sort of started off with, with the idea of health, because Dream of Wild Health um, originated with Sally Auger, who just recently passed as well. But her idea was, was seeing that that our people were really struggling with um, not good diets and how when you get out there and you get in the sunlight, you get your hands in the soil, it's healing. And we know that now there's that actually um, bacteria in the soil that help our physical systems so as she walked along that path for healing, she started to get responses and she was first given a, um, a collection of seeds that had been saved seeds, tribal seeds from an elder named Cora Baker, who was a Potawatomi elder. And she said for many years, elders had brought seeds to her because she was uh, one that liked to garden in the Baraboo, Wisconsin area. Mm -hmm. So she received that. And uh, when 
when she found out that Sally wanted to start this farm, she passed that seed collection on to Sally. Mm. Sally then went about getting land and was able to get the first uh, 10 acres. And uh, right now that land is set up to support not just uh, human food, but food for other beings too. So um, we are originally under Diane Wilson, who is a kind of a famous author and Mm -hmm. She and Ernie and I, it was just like being living poetry all the time. It was just beautiful. I imagine so. (laughs) Uh, So um, the first part of the farm, if you go way to the back end of the 10 acres, it's it's completely wild. And then the next part is a pollinator meadow. Then we have a native orchard. So it's like wild plums, elderberry, buffalo berry, cedar trees, So we have some of those flowering plants that are healthy and produce food, not just for us, but for other, you know, birds and animals that need that kind of food, but also supports the pollinators. And then we get into the next section of land that's um, predominantly used for foods that go back into the community. Like you said, we do share like share boxes. So the first back half of the farm there is for vegetables any kind of vegetables, but we're trying to regenerate the soil as well. And then the next part is for um, tribal seeds, like historic tribal seeds. So some of these seeds are extremely in danger. I know uh, last year we had one where we were hoping, I think we had seven seeds and we were hoping that one would produce uh, squash. And we were just like, oh, please, please, please. Because in that was the only one that we knew of. Mm. We have a wonderful um, head farmer now, Jessica Green Deer. She was the uh, head farmer for her tribe, the Ho-Chunk community in Wisconsin. And now she's working with us. And those, those seeds keep coming to her. So they come and we have to nurture we shouldn't say have to, we get the privilege of nurturing them back to health because we know people didn't grow those seeds for money. They didn't grow those seeds. Oh, cause they're so pretty. They grew those seeds because they had a, tr- a gift and generally it was a gift of nutrition. Mm-hmm. So these seeds are much higher in nutrition. And sometimes it's something else like uh, this last year, we grew out a Potawatomi watermelon that is really good in, as a storage watermelon. You don't have to refrigerate it. You can just leave it out and it doesn't, it doesn't decompose or whatever. It's one that survives longer. So each one of these plants that we receive the tribal seeds from have a gift that was noticed by those tribes. Mm. You're listening to Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine. Native Lights Where Indigenous Voices Shine is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today we're hearing from Hope Flanagan, a Native elder, storyteller, and teacher who now works at Dream of Wild Health, a Minneapolis-based Native food sovereignty organization that also has a farm in Hugo. So, Hope, what made you go down the, the path you did? What made you become a storyteller and teacher of plants and stuff like that? When I was little, one of my favorite memories, when I was two and three years old, my mom would take my sister and I out and we would go picking. And some of my very first memories were um, finding things like a yellow water lily root or uh, what we called wild carrot. And uh, I always had this really good feeling because back in those days, 
when you saw a group of people picking, you were maybe you were going down a road, you could almost always bet it was native people. And it made you happy. Mm. It was like, I wonder what they found. I wonder what's over there. Yeah. I found peace out in the woods. It was my safety spot. If other things felt rough, you could go out in the woods and find that kind of uh, peace with those plants and trees and animals. So fairly, fairly early on, my mom would send me out to help elders that were looking for plants. So that was how I got started was she'd say, well, help that elder, you know, go help her find something, you know. So um, I was really thankful because that was where I found my contentment and then I could share it by finding things for them. So when did the, you know, because you've done a lot of storytelling work, when did that all, you know, sort of come about? That was an interesting one. I, I had not been doing well. I was sick for a while. And a friend of mine in the community said, hey, they're opening up this new school, Anishinaabe Academy. Come to the open house. I said, okay. And I got there and I felt really good. And I went to the principal and I said, gee, I feel really good here. Do you have any job openings? And he goes, yes, we have a job opening for a storyteller. Would you be interested in applying? I said, I can't do that. I'm no Ona Kingbird because Ona Kingbird was this magnificent storyteller from Panema, Minnesota, Red Lake, Washington. And so he said, you don't have to be Ona. Just have Ona come in and tell stories. So for six years, I had different elders come in and tell stories. And Ona, of course, was just amazing. And a little bit after the end of that six years, um, I went to a storytelling event and Ona and her family were on stage at Oxford College. And she called me up on the stage and she gave me all of her things and said, now you are the storyteller. So she passed that on to me. And um, in our way of thinking, the stories are alive. And those characters that you talk about, they're alive too. So you feast them and you thank them and you respect them. Um, and only tell them, you know, uh, after the last frog stops singing and before the frogs sing again, that's when we get to tell these, uh, what you would call Adazukanog. I was talking a little bit to our dad who, who lives up near Hinkley. Um, and he was telling me about Adazukan, um, and just like Steve, right? Is it Steve? (laughs) He, it's no, it's, uh, William. It's his brother, William. William. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She's saying Steve Primo, our uncle. Um, <laughs> but uh, he said that he heard that if you if you tell these stories, you know, not in the in summer, these Andazukan, that you might get frogs in your bed. If you <laughs> <laughs> have you heard that, you might wake yes. up with frogs in your bed. <laughs> There's all sorts. Of, some people would say, "Oh, you're going to get green marks on you, or look like little mm-hmm. frog hickeys." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> like, but. but uh, um, Actually, it, you know, the, the real warnings are a little bit stronger than that because they might say, yeah. you know, do you really want to call these powerful, powerful beings and then not know what to do with them once you call on them? You know, so um, they're busy yeah. doing their work, you know, so let them mm-hmm. be. <laughs> but it does. It's very much associated with frogs. There's a character yeah. in the Adazukana that they call uh, Grandmother Toad Woman. And I think that might be partially her and her little relatives that they're mm. referring to. So respect them and leave them be <laughs> when there's not snow on the ground. 
I like it. I like it. So I was curious. Um, I know that there are some some stories, especially when, you know stories in the winter that shouldn't be recorded, um, and we'd want to be you know, respectful for that. Uh, is there a story or teaching that you could share with us? Maybe a favorite of yours, or of your students, or possibly a lesson you know about plants. Or- so there's different kinds of stories. The Adazukanag mm-hmm. are the ones that have the powerful beings, the the legendary beings. And, you know, I've been saying the trickster, calling him the trickster. I'm not saying his name because um, I don't want to call him here, you know. But I believe in these beings. Mm-hmm. I think about like, okay, I, I really do want to be respectful of the Adazukanag, mm-hmm. but there's also... Debajimowenan, which are like true stories, and they might, you know, like things that have happened personally to me, mm-hmm. or things that have happened to to other people in the communities. So I've got a great one. Uh, I, I'd love to share that's uh, a Debajimowenan. Awesome. Debajimowenan. Yeah, it, <laughs> I'm gonna remember those are that stories. One. Yeah, like like personal stories gotcha. or life stories. Yeah. Um, so okay. one time. I was down in Florida and I heard this fellow was going to speak. He was from uh, Washington state and he was from that tribe over there in Idaho. And um, as he spoke, he said, I've been going all over Indian country in the Northwest of Turtle Island. And I've been collecting stories and uh, I've been hearing all sorts of things and all sorts of um, teachings as I go along. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. And I said, gee, I wonder what he's hearing about because I've been hearing prophecies. And so after he was done speaking, I gave him same, right. I gave him tobacco because mm-hmm. I wanted to hear his teachings and you, nothing ever comes easy if it's worth something. Right. Yeah. So he says, come <laughs> back at midnight. It's like, okay. Oh. So, so I did, I went home and I came back at midnight and, uh, you know, brought him something to drink and sat down next to him, you know, just some water. And he said, you wanted to hear stories, right? And I said, yeah, I'd really like to hear stories. So he started talking and he said, you know, in my family, we have a certain gift. He said, my family, we're able to change our form. And then he looked at me to see if I thought, oh, maybe she thinks I'm lying. And I'm looking at him because I know that people can do that, right? So I'm looking at him. He goes, yeah, in my family, we have the gift to change our form. We can change our form into a blue jay. He said, last winter, we were in our home up there at Colville, and my sister started to change, and she had never changed before, so it surprised her. And her form started to change And she was so surprised that she got up from the ceremony. She went outside. She opened up the door. You could see her tracks in the snow where they changed from human tracks to bird tracks. And then she was sitting up in the tree. And he's looking at me like, am I going to believe him or not? And of course, I believe him because I know, especially back in the day when things were clearer, things like that happened a lot more frequently when there wasn't so much junk in the atmosphere so um yeah he was looking at me and he goes you heard of something like that before and I said yeah I've heard of that he said now you asked me about prophecies right and I said yeah I wanted to know about prophecies he said well everywhere I'm going I'm hearing the same thing there's something coming 
And all these elders are describing it as the one-eyed God. And people are going to worship this one-eyed God. He said they're going to bow their heads to it. They're going to give their lives. They're going to give their own children to this one-eyed God. And he goes, do you know what I'm talking about? Goes, aye, aye. <laughs> I said, no, I don't. It, it, is it a TV? He goes, it's not a TV. It's a screen. Mm-hmm. I said, what does that mean? I don't know what this means. Okay, now remember, this is, was in the 90s, you know, that mm-hmm. this happened, right? So the next day, I'm driving along the road in Florida, and there's a Blue Jay in the middle of the road. So I stop my car so nobody will hit the Blue Jay, right? So I go over to the Blue Jay, and the Blue Jay <laughs> won't move. I'm like, go on, go on, go on, won't move. So I scoop him up. Like, this Blue Jay isn't flying away. And I feel his little wings. I feel his, nothing's busted. So I put him in my on the passenger side of my car, and I put a little towel around him so he can sit up, right? So I drive home to where I'm living, and uh, I, I talked to this friend of mine. I said, oh, I got a Blue Jay in the car. I, I cracked the window just a sliver, just a sliver, and um, we'd, let's go take that Blue Jay over to the bird rescue place because she knew where it was. She goes, okay, I'm coming down. So we go down. My car doors were locked, and when we got there, the Blue Jay's gone. I said, there's no way. How did that Blue Jay get out of my car? The doors were locked. It was just a crack. She starts laughing. She goes, Hope, you know how that Blue Jay got out. That was him. But that was him. That's how that Blue Jay got out. So here I am about 10 years ago. I'm over at Division of Indian Work in Minneapolis and I'm telling this story. And one of the one of the youngsters that was listening goes like, oh, I love it. I said, what do you like? He goes, I love the eyepiece. I said, what do you mean? Well, you know, he was talking about the iPhone, the iPad, how everybody bows their head and gives their life and their children to the iPhone and the iPad. I'm like, Whoa. Whoa. Right. The connection. There you go. Whoa. Hi. Wow. Thank you. So that's a Dabajamoan. Dabajamoan. Great. Thank you for that. You're listening to Native Lights, where Indigenous voices shine. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Today, we're hearing from Hope Flanagan, native elder, storyteller, and teacher who works at Dream of Wild Health, a Minneapolis-based native food sovereignty organization that has a farm in Hugo. So Hope, one last question. So usually, Hope, our paths cross at the Indigenous Farming Conference at the White Earth Land Recovery Project held annually out in Callaway, and this year it's virtual. Um, like so many other events. So last year you did a storytelling session, I think, with the youth. Um, but so how can our communities share in storytelling during the pandemic? Or what what have you seen? What have you done? I know you mentioned some more online stuff. Um, what do you think about that? It, it's kind of all over the map. Um mm-hmm. Michael Sullivan from Waduka Dotting did a beautiful job when he did it in the language 
So if people weren't listening in the language, it was hard to tell what was going on. But he had his 11-year-old son translate, which just thrilled my heart to hear an 11-year-old mm-hmm. translating straight up Ojibwe. I'm like, yes! <laughs> so um, that's one one thing that I was really grateful to see that. Um, Mary Moose from the uh, Hinkley area, she has been doing star stories with her sons, and they've been absolutely mm-hmm. beautiful. Uh, so if you can... Those are online as well. Um, I am doing some online when they tell me they will destroy the evidence afterwards. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been doing that with different schools just to say, um, I want to respect the tradition of the elders that went before me. If it's an elder that, uh, that have been carrying these stories forever and they're comfortable sharing the stories, have at it, you know. I know uh, tomorrow I'll be working with um, Bedote School and they're doing the stories in the language. Um, so I want those young ones to hear the stories. Then they can they can be the ones that carry the stories. I personally am always looking for someone who's going to be the next one to receive them from me. You know, a young person that'll be the next storyteller. So um, encourage your young ones to learn their language. I want to find a young one that learns the plants too. Someone who just loves plants. So just know people like me, we're out there and we're looking for those young ones. Uh, A teaching that came from Tubasada Kwadiban from Kenora. um, He would come down from the to the states and tell people that if you take care of the language if you take care of the stories if you take care of these ways they will take care of you which i've seen it over and over again so learn your ways they will take care of you you will be taken care of you'll learn that you don't maybe necessarily have to have the biggest house that ever was in the whole world you know mm-hmm. but you will always will be taken care of so know that these are these are good ways, they're true ways, and uh, follow them because they're going to lead you to a beautiful place. Every day when you put your tobacco down, just ask for guidance. We have loving ones that are all around us all the time. They call them the Indinotaganug. That would be the ones that are listening to me. You have your own. Everybody has their own different ones. They're around us and they want to help us and give us guidance. We have to get quiet enough to hear what they have to say. Yeah. Beautiful. Jamie Gwitch. That's a great place to, I I love this feeling right now. (laughs) I just want to bask in it. (laughs) Jamie Gwitch, Hope, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was fun. Yeah, yeah. nice to see you again. Thank you. Yeah, have a good one. Later. Giga Wabamin. Giga Wabamin. Giga Wabamin. Nice. That was so great to have her uh, on the show today. Um, and it's just great to have that, you know, reminder that we should be thankful of everything around us and, you know, continuing to mm. show appreciation because you know, without without the animals, without the plants, we ain't really nothing. <laughs> it just feels so effortless to talk to Hope. It's so nice. <laughs> so refreshing, you know, because it's just nice to, you know, t- discuss storytelling, you know, just nature around us and get away from 
get away from the iPhone. <laughs> That's oh, <saying>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't see that coming. Yeah. Usually I'm like looking for it. I'm like, oh, what has an one eye? What's yeah. an eye? Yeah. It's like, oh, iPhone. Yeah. I, I mean, that it makes a lot of sense for sure. It's like a different form of eye. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, Jimmy to hope. Mm-hmm. Hope Flanagan is a native elder, storyteller, and teacher who works at Dream of Wild Health, which is a great organization based in the Twin Cities that works with indigenous food sovereignty, and they do farming in Hugo. Native Lights is produced by Minnesota Native News and Ampers and is made possible by the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. If you want to hear more from our conversation with Hope Flanagan, log on to mnnativenews.org or search Native Lights on your podcast app. I'm Cole Primo. And I'm Leah Lam. Jimmy Gwaitch for listening. Giga Giga Wabamin. Wabamin.